I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. What I would love to know, because I'll tell you how I discovered you, but first, I think it would be... um, no, I'll just say how I discovered you because I think it was an act of God. I always feel like the universe just sort of conspires to make things come together. I was watching a YouTube video about I don't even remember what. And then you know how YouTube serves up little tiny videos on the side? I saw your mm-hmm. TED Talk and clicked on it. Mm-hmm. And literally within 20 minutes of seeing your TED Talk, I had creeped on everything about you online. I had sent you a DM on Instagram (laughs) and asked you to speak at Rise. And the reason I tell that story for you, but also to our listeners, is I think that women struggle so much with putting themselves out there and wanting to show off their work or acknowledging it. And if you hadn't put that video on your YouTube, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So- It's super, super important to, I mean, you talk so much about power, to stand in your own power, but I'm going to assume that your origin story is, did not start from the place that you are now. So will you tell listeners who you are and what you do and kind of the story of how you got to where you are? Absolutely. So what I tell people in the morning when I do my show is that my name is Stacey Flowers, real last name, because nobody believes me. Um, And I make a living through talking just like Oprah. I do it from the stage. And from the stage, I talk about happiness and power. Um, I also do it via coaching with me coaching women to be more amazing. And then I do it via influencing. And that's kind of where sort of our story intersected with you finding the TED Talk and then finding other content. So on the influencing side on YouTube, I've been documenting restoring my financial journey after like this big, huge, monumental public failure in my company. Um, And it started with me making about $800 a month working part time at a cafe to now earning about 10K a month net working part time in my company. And I like to kind of give people that background because it gives you the scope of like how I am as a person in terms of the work that I'm putting out. But I think the other thing that's really going on in my life right now that gives a little bit more of the backstory is that I'm a mom of a nearly 18-year-old human being, which (laughs) Which feels crazy. When you if you have never seen Stacey, you need to go look at her Instagram right now. You will not believe it's possible that she has an 18-year-old. Yeah, like I, I barely, I know it. I see it, and I barely believe it. And so, like, I'm in full blown like empty nest syndrome slash. How is my child almost like legally able to marry in another another adult <laughs> human being if he wants to? Like, it just it doesn't make any sense. So, I'm in this very interesting space right now in my company and in my personal life um, with regards to those two things being there. And then the last thing that I love for people to know is that I'm an eight because the deeper we dive into on the enneagram, I don't know if you do. Enneagram. I think you, you talked about that at Rise. I am yes. the queen of Enneagram. It is our favorite conversation here at the office. And I feel like when you know someone's number, you're like, okay, wait, are you an 8-7? You got to be an 8-7. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm an 8-7. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm an eight seven, but I like to tell people that because before I knew that I was an eight, like I really didn't have a framework to sort of organize a lot of my experiences that led up to this moment. But the minute I took it, I was like, oh, what? Yeah. Now my life makes sense to me. So it was it's been it's been really exciting. So that's kind of a little bit about who I am now and like the work that I do now. It's really what's, exciting. What's super interesting about that too is that I don't know a lot of women who are eights who will confidently yep. claim that number. And if you don't if y'all yep. don't know what we like we're speaking in a language right now. If you please uh, I feel like I've talked about 10 million times. You can go google it. But if you understand Enneagram, you understand the 8 is the challenger which oftentimes mm-hmm. gets a bad rap, but also the 8 is a world changer. Mother Teresa was an yep. 8. Martin Luther King Jr was an 8. Like there are so many powerful 8s, but not a lot of women it, of course, your your whole thing is about power. Not a lot of women will own that. What was that journey like for you? Right. Like, were you immediately like, hell yes? Or did it take you a moment to kind of come to terms with it? It took me a moment to come. So privately, I was like, yes, I make sense. <laughs> I know. I, this is who I am, right? But it was a very private thing because then I was like, oh my God, like all of the things that I thought as a kid, they're true. And like, now people know, like people are going to know. And so it was, it took me a little bit, but like what I like about the Enneagram is it gives you like the range of how you, like what, how you are when you're at your best and then how you are when you're under stress. And so when I looked at it, I was just like, you know what, Stacey, all of these years that you've been trying to pretend that you're not an eight, this is what's making it hard for you. Like this is what's making people have a bad reaction to you being a woman who is as powerful as you actually are. What would happen if you just kind of show up in your full eightness? Like, what would happen if you did that? And honestly, that's sort of like what happened from, you know, with my TED Talk going out. Like, that happened before I had my big fall. And so it's just like, that was already out there. So when I started documenting my financial journey, which was really hard because it was such a contrast to the experience of doing a TED Talk and traveling around the world, it was like... I have these two really contrasting experiences, but I'm like, if I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it completely. And that directly came from me wanting to own my eightness and being like, even in this space where I'm starting over at the bottom, I'm still just as powerful as I was when I was standing on stage delivering that TED Talk. And since making that decision, it's been just like the best thing ever. That's why I always like to mention it because it's just like, when you know that at the core, this is who you are, it's like, why would you... Why fight it? Like, why why rail against it anymore? And the more and more I've embraced it, the more opportunities like Rise have shown up that I've been able to say, yes, absolutely, I will surely come to your stage and do my thing. Like, versus me being like, oh, pick me, choose me. It's like, I don't have that sort of thing happening in my life as much anymore. It's more people are noticing me and they're like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, been here. Like, but it's like <laughs> the reason you didn't know is because I was afraid to really embrace the nature of it. Because as you said, most women are not eights. And if they are eights, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do because people automatically assume that we're going to be like this aggressive, like zero tolerance type personality. And it's just like, no, I'm, I'm all woman. I'm just a different type of woman with a whole lot of power. Yeah. I love that too because I think um, I'm so I'm a three four. I'm a three with a wing four, okay. just so you can like understand my stuff. But I think gotcha. I experienced the exact same thing uh, when I was drowning in this anxiety years and years ago and drinking too much and having terrible coping mm-hmm. mechanisms. I it took a lot of therapy and a lot of time for me to understand 
why that was happening and yep. many reasons, but the core of it was I I'm so I'm a three, I'm an achiever. If y'all don't, if you are not as familiar with the Enneagram as Stacy and I are, um, but I am the most ambitious person you've ever met. Like I want yep. big things. I have big dreams and nobody around me was like that and definitely no women. And it was something that made mm -hmm. my immediate circle of family and friends very uncomfortable and so I mm -hmm. hid that part of myself. Like I fully pretended to be someone else to try and please everyone else and made this ambition, this like the biggest part of me, I made it very small. And that was yeah. the root of my anxiety for years. Now I couldn't have understood it, but I find it so interesting that you talk about something similar with, with like once you knew that you were hiding that part of you away, then kind of the whole world opens up. Can you talk yeah. about how, though? How do you step into yeah. power when you have been living in another way? Right. Okay. So I think, so I want to say this too about, because it, it, it speaks to like how to step into the power. So like one of the things with the eight, so much like you, how you were dealing with anxiety and really bad coping mechanisms, I was doing the same thing because I wasn't being my core self. So one of the big issues with people who are an eight is that their deepest fear is being controlled. <laughs> And so they don't like to be controlled at all. And so they challenge a lot and they rebel a lot and they rail up against things a lot because they're attempting to not be controlled. But when you're doing that and you're naturally someone who's powerful, it ends up putting you in very dramatic situations, which then turns into you then having to fight your way out of a lot of stuff. So there, I, I, I noticed that like once I, much like you, like I was in a state of, so I'll explain it this way. At the top of 2017, I experienced something called nervous exhaustion and like everything shut down. Like I couldn't think I could barely get out of bed. Like I, my body was in so much pain that like I, like I had gone to the doctor cause I couldn't figure out the pain. And he was just like, yeah, you know, I think you have fibromyalgia. And I was like, absolutely. No, I don't. I was like, that is not a thing that will exist in my body like that is not a thing and it would and it was it was terrifying for me because i had had examples of women in my family who had fibromyalgia i had so so as the doctors are trying to explain to me that like you know my system is shutting down and this is what's going on i was just like you know what there has to be something that i'm doing wrong in life because my body is having a reaction that it shouldn't have, especially since the nervous exhaustion was preceded by the peak of success, like the peak of happiness. Like I should be on cloud nine right now, but I am in a devastating, debilitating level of depression. So anxious that like, I was like afraid to leave my bedroom sometimes because I was just petrified of like what would be out there. And so Can much I like you, I went into- I feel like you're, we're like we need to like have dinner for four hours and drink wine and unpack all of this <laughs> together because you and I have so many similar circumstances. Do you know what was at the core of the depression or, or the anxiety at that time? Because I also have experienced like getting to the highest high and feeling mm -hmm. like everything got worse, not better. Yes. So the core of it was when I was younger, my sister passed away in our uh, grandmother's home in a fire and we were all in there and we all got out, but she ended up passing away. And then after she passed away, my mom and my dad, like obviously lost a child. So there was a bad reaction to that. And me and my sisters went to foster care. So there was this significant loss of my sister through death. And then there was this significant loss of like my family because we went to foster care. And when we went to foster care, it was four of us and 
um, they couldn't find a foster home for all of us. So we were split up two by two. So for me, and I'm the dead center middle child. So for me, there was a lot of trauma around losing my family. And what happened is, is that the success and the joy that I was having mirrored a lot of the fun and joy that I had at my grandmother's house, like on the eve of all of that sort of cascading. So I was kind of like triggered by the joy And it sent me into this space of like, oh my God, all of these things are going to happen. But then also in the background, my family was going through a crisis and it just so happened that they were all like moving into my house. And so not only was I at the peak of my success and every single person in my family is physically living in my home. So I'm having like this crazy out of body, like, oh my gosh, like this house is going to burn down and somebody in here is going to die and I'm going to lose my family. And it doesn't make sense, but all of the pieces are structured in such a way that it spoke directly to my trauma. So my, the trauma was like, so this, I, I emotionally and mentally, I was responding to the stress and the pressure of the circumstance that high and not really knowing how to organize, organize it. And so then that was converted into the depression and then it was converted into the anxiety. And then finally I was able to figure out that it was really the post-traumatic stress that had triggered everything because I was, deathly afraid that like, you know, something was going to happen to my family all over again. Even me letting them move into my home, it was because I was afraid I was going to lose them. And I couldn't allow myself to have this much joy while my family was in this state of like being separated, if you will. So it was, it was a very like, it was a very challenging sort of, uh, it's the way that it mirrored the trauma so much, at least in the therapy sessions that we talked about, it was like, quite remarkable. My, my therapist would say it all the time. She's just like, it's really remarkable how much your circumstance mirrored your original trauma. Like there would have been no way for you to get out of this situation without having gone through what you went through because it was so triggering and so jarring. Did you know that you had PTSD at the time or is that something that you uncovered once you started? Yes. Okay. But I thought I had PTSD about something else. So <laughs> I thought I had PTSD Yeah, for a totally different situation. I did not know that I had PTSD as it related to my sister dying and then us going to foster care and then, you know, just other things that unfolded in the family. So that was that was new to me. I want to touch on that one really quickly for listeners. I actually just wrote about this in the new book. Um, I was interviewing Mm -hmm. something recently, a guy who I really admire, and I had asked him if he had PTSD from something he had gone through. And he was like, oh, no that I would never I would never say those words and be disrespectful to um you know veterans and uh soldiers who who really do have it and I thought oh shoot if you believe that this is something that only happens and it certainly does happen to our soldiers mm-hmm. and our veterans oh my gosh in in massive ways but I had horrible PTSD and didn't know that I had it mm-hmm. until I was an adult and I didn't understand what it was until I was reading a book about – I was reading someone's biography and they described their post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was like, oh, my God, I have all of those symptoms. And I didn't know mm-hmm. my my insomnia, my fear of loud noises, my sensitivity to, like, lights and sounds and all of these things that still affect me to today. I just would love – if you are listening to this right now and – just and you're there's something that's tugging at you. I want to encourage you to go Google it 
and look at what the symptoms are mm-hmm. because it shows up uh, in in small ways. Maybe you've walked through just some kind of um, lesser trauma and certainly like, oh my gosh, the loss of a sibling and you're having your family split up and all of those, oh my gosh, of course. So maybe the reason you're yeah. listening to Stacy and I today on this podcast is so that you can go Google something that is going to give you the tools and the resources to talk about with your therapist or go find a therapist because, gosh, it can control your life. Um, sorry, Stace, yeah. I took us down a whole yeah. other crazy tangent, um, but we no, no, it's fine. <laughs> feels important. Um, but oh, so I want to touch back on. So this we started this conversation with you talking about you were in this season of the depression yep. and and the pain in your body and how that was sort of the trigger for not the trigger but kind of the springboard for you to the catalyst yeah the yeah. catalyst thank you for that word that's mm-hmm. what i needed yeah it was the catalyst because i was like there i have to be doing something wrong because when things are going well like even if you're in pain you don't realize that you could still also be doing something wrong and i was just like okay so my insides don't match my outsides and i need to fix this or i'm going to have fibromyalgia and that is not something that i want to have i'm going to be depressed i'm going to be bedbound like i don't want to live the rest of my life like this so i need to fix this and i have a whole entire child that I'm also parenting while all of this is going on and it's very debilitating. And so I was just like, okay, I am here and I need to figure out how to get out of here without like, without and and get out of here in a way where I don't come back here because I had gotten sick before, but it was never as bad as this because I think I had so much more awareness because I had had therapy in the past that the, I was super aware of how bad things were. And so the first thing that I did is I was just like, okay, I know medication tends to not work for me because it numbs me out and then I can't feel. And then I have this false sense of health and recovery and it just doesn't work for me. So I was just like, well, people keep saying food can change things. Let me try food. And so I found this book, The Ultramind Solution, where he talks about an elimination diet and how some foods cause inflammation and all this other stuff. And I love the book because it, for the first time, I learned the connection between what we eat and that being fuel for our body. Like I wasn't taught that. So I didn't know that what I was eating was affecting my body and my mind and all the other stuff. So the first thing that I did was I cleaned up my diet. And then once I cleaned up my diet and I found the foods that literally were toxic to me, like potatoes, um, <laughs> I, 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 I eliminated all of those foods. And then I, because those foods were eliminated in combination with me going to therapy, I was able to gain some clarity. And I was just like, okay, now what are you going to do? Because you need to rebuild. And at the time I couldn't work. I couldn't get on stage. I remember I had a speaking engagement and I was so depressed that like they called my name. I went to the 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 microphone stood there and as I was looking out at everybody like I was so overwhelmed that all I could do was walk off the stage and walk out of the building I didn't say anything I didn't take a like it was horrible so I knew I wasn't ready to get back to like that level work because I was just like I don't know if you can recover from that Um, but I was just like you need to make money because you haven't been working and you have a kid and you have to figure this out so I was just like okay well I need to restore my financial dignity I don't have the emotional capacity to you know use my degrees and go to work or use my experience and rebuild a company, but I do know how to work. So let me find a job that will allow me to be able to work, but it won't be mentally and emotionally taxing because I really need to focus on healing full time. So after, so my diet was under control, then I made the commitment to restore my financial dignity, got a part-time job working at a cafe. And then I was just like, okay, well, money seems to be a big stressor for you because 
the money coming in stressed me out, but also the amount of money going out stressed me out. So I was like, I need to get my finances in order. What better way to do that than Dave Ramsey and then telling everybody on the internet about it so I can get some accountability. So I literally like opened up my computer and was like, hey, internet, I don't know how to deal with money. I know how to make it, but I don't know how to manage it. And I'm going to learn how right in front of you guys because the internet is going to hold me accountable. And what ended up happening is... I, I, I realized, too, that I heal very well through talking out loud. That's why therapy is incredibly effective for me. And what ended up happening is that as I was documenting my financial journey in real time, I really started to clean up my finances. And the more my financial dignity was restored, the more like mental and emotional health and healing was brought back to me in combination with my diet changes, in combination with me only working part time. And then slowly but surely, like I was like, OK, well, I feel like I can handle one revenue stream in my company. What would it be like? to monetize YouTube since more of you guys are following me. So then I started to monetize and then I just slowly but surely like rebuilt my company to a place where I was able to earn consistent enough income for me to be able to um, resign from working part-time at the cafe and replace my income with my company. And then I'm working in my company, my income is replaced and I'm like, okay, now we're going to put ourselves back out on the stage because this is your top talent. This is really what you want to do. But as you come back out here, you have to come back out here with the wisdom that you gained in rebuilding your life this way and changing yourself in this lifestyle because this is who you really are. You cannot get back up from this and be anybody else but this person that you've been with in this very dark season. And so I would say that that's actually the most like detailed, practical way of how I actually walked my way back into the power. I changed my diet. I changed my lifestyle. I restored my financial dignity. And then I went back to using my natural gifts and talents to serve the world and ultimately earn enough income to be able to afford to be able to take care of myself at a level which enables me to be able to heal full time. I love that. And I'm, I continue to trip out as you speak because we use different words to describe these things, but there's so much similarity. So if you mm. ask me the two things that fundamentally changed my life, and I've said this many times, uh, it is my health, getting healthy. And that doesn't just mean physically, that means uh, mentally and emotionally as well, and becoming financially independent. Those are the two yeah, things. It changes everything. Everything. I didn't know that money was also tra- like there was trauma around money for me. Like I didn't know that being financially insecure turned you into a different person. Like I, I, I had no idea. And I'm so I'm like the middle child in my family, but I'm also the only person in my family that's graduated from high school, gone to college. So I'm the I'm the one in my family who quote unquote has made it. So I have made more money than every person in my family, at least in the last decade. I've I've always made more money than everyone. But I don't I I because there were no examples, I didn't know what I was doing. And because I didn't know what I was doing, I was still just as insecure as if I was in poverty or if I didn't have any money. And so when I finally actually figured out how money worked and how to actually manage it, the amount of calm in my body and in my system, like I actually started having feelings that I didn't, wouldn't allow myself to have because I couldn't afford to have them. Like there's there's like, there was like a level of feelings that I was just like, I won't let myself have those feelings because I can't afford it. And if I have those feelings, they will throw me off my game and I won't be able to continue to make money so I can survive. As soon as I became financially secure, I, I actually stopped living in a state of survival. And I was like, what is this life of leisure and pleasure? Like what? I, I, it, it was the most 
uh, I was like, do other, I was telling my therapist, I was like, do other people live like this yeah. with all of their feelings? <laughs> Do you feel like, like did yeah. you get did you get any pushback from your community of because I am deeply passionate about everyone, but women especially pursuing a life where they are financially secure, they don't have to worry about finances, they live within their means, they work to grow their not just to become rich, but to grow their wealth so that generationally mm-hmm. we're breaking cycles. And I get a lot of pushback. I'm curious if you Yeah. Do you do you get that as well? Mm. No, I didn't. I'm not on the financial side. If anything, like maybe strangers on the internet, more so the pushback, but generally, no, like more, there were more people that were rooting for me and rooting for me to succeed financially than people who were like pushing back and like, you don't need to do that or it's unnecessary. That Yeah, I didn't have that. It's more people rooting for me. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I wonder why. I wonder if it's a cultural thing, though. Yeah. I wonder if it's a cultural thing. Like, my friends and I were talking about this because at the Rise Conference, you had, you had um, there's a portion of the workbook where you talk about the fear of failure. And when I was sitting there, I was talking to her and I was just like, you know, I wonder if that's a cultural thing because the amount of success that's in the predominantly white culture or access, privilege, however you want to describe it, it's just like, there's this idea that I'm not going to measure up to my cousin versus in the African-American community, at least in my experience, like my dominant fear is the fear of success because I'll be the one who makes it and then I have to take care of everyone. Wow. And so yeah. I'm thinking the same thing because I remember with my first book, I wrote this bonus chapter where I was talking about hustle. Like hustle is my love language. I love, I've mm-hmm. been a hustler since the beginning, like making it work. And so many specifically white women hated that word, hated that word. And if Mm -hmm. I said that to my friends who are African-American, they were like, oh, are you kidding? Like, we always had a side hustle. That is culturally like you were working for something more that was a respected thing. And so I do think, and and specifically because I was raised uh, in the church too, um, Mm -hmm. good girls don't talk about money. Good girls go yep. find them a husband who will take care. I mean, yep. and I know this isn't true for everybody. And so if you're listening to this, don't get your feathers in a ruffle. But it was true for me. Um, coming from Southern culture, coming from a Pentecostal church background, that was what women— Me too. We were Pentecostal. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, that was how I was raised. And I think um, yeah. I'm so grateful for your perspective of—because I do get a lot of questions about fear of— um, fear of success. And that isn't something that I ever have carried. Like, I think I mm-hmm. probably said this maybe at Rise, but I got that question so often and I never knew how to answer it because I was like, oh man, all I want is to get further and further away from my childhood where we really struggled yeah. financially and where there wasn't anything in the refrigerator and where I had to listen to my parents scream about how they were going to pay bills. Like, Mm-hmm. I heard um, Tyler Perry say once, if you've ever been hungry, then you'll never be full. And I always mm. think of, I know it's Ooh. probably not a healthy way to pursue life, but I am constantly trying to create something that makes it safe for my family and for, and not just my family and these children that I gave birth to, but like my family at work and all of these employees who are counting on us for health insurance and to pay their bills. Like I am working to Mm -hmm. create a level of wealth that everybody is taking care of. So I don't know. I'm with you, sister. I love, I love that perspective because it is something where 
I'm sure you have gotten pushback for certain things, but that was definitely something where when I hit the level of success and Girl Wash Your Face like was this crazy, wild thing, one of the biggest pieces of getting, you know, beat up on the internet was um, that I was telling people to pursue making money. And that felt, you know, mm. inappropriate. And if I was yeah. a man, if I was a male entrepreneur and I was like rolling around on my private jet and showing you pictures of that, everyone would think it was great. But because I was a woman, yep. it didn't go over well. So, uh, well, I was going to say that's definitely a thing. So I don't get pushback for making money in general and sharing with people that process. But I think culturally for me, it's more about how I make it. Like there are acceptable ways in my culture to make it. And if I go outside of those bounds, those are the only times that I get a little bit of pushback. And what, as far so as can like you dig it? Can you unpack that a little bit more? What would be like appropriate and not? So, like, okay, so for example, like I'm a speaker. So in me being a speaker, you know, like when you first start out speaking, like there is a speaker rate. And then as you become a better speaker, there is a better speaker rate. So there's a little bit in our community that says that you should not be paid for your gifts because those gifts are from God and in them being from God, like you should not charge at a certain level, for example. So it's almost like, well, Stacey, you can get paid for speaking so long as you are making sure you're using your voice predominantly in our community and you're not overcharging our community. So if I go, for lack of a better expression, to a white stage and get compensated at a really with a really big check, it's like, well, you, you sold out. And it's just like, no, no, <laughs> same gift. They, they just have the money to be able to pay me. So that becomes a very challenging thing because it's like, I'm not making up the rules for who has money and who doesn't. I have a business, but the pressure to run my business in a way that is a, in alignment with sometimes organizations that can't afford the fee, that becomes an issue of pushback. And it's just like, you kind of have to get to a point, or at least I felt like I had to get to a point where I didn't make that my issue anymore. I said, that's your issue. This is this is a limiting belief that you have around what it means to be African-American, because if this organization that happens to be predominantly white can cut me the check of my speaker fee, guess where I'm going to go deliver this message to that organization? Gosh, so good. And you, know, you were, I have actually heard this. There was a there was a woman in my coaching community who asked me about this exact same topic. And I definitely didn't have mm -hmm. the full context that you're giving me. But my my suggestion to her was choose choose something that you're deeply passionate about. So we have a, a handful of things here at Hollis Co. that we're, we will give money. I will speak for the military, something mm -hmm. that's really close to my heart. So I will speak for free and have all over and have a certain amount of those set aside at the beginning of the year so that when yep. people reach out, you're just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for the ask. Um, I I have done my whatever you want to call those. Like I've booked up, but you know, if you want to submit a something for 2021, because what will happen is that you will give all your energy and all of your resources and all of your time, and it is beautiful, and the, their organizations matter, and they're so great. But you also have bills to mm -hmm. pay, and a child yep. to take care of, and. When mm -hmm. you, it's like, I feel like, and I don't know if you have seen this too, but I feel like in my business, when I started standing firm and saying, no, this is what I am worth and I will not go down from here, then everything started to explode. When I, it's like you, you talk about power, like standing in your power and saying that you're worth something. Um, 
I would I would think of it as the amount of male stages that I have spoken on. Like, um, I'm sure you met. You, mm-hmm. Did you meet Trent? At um, Rice, did you get a chance to meet Trent Shelf? Yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. Trent and yeah. I have become really close friends because he and I were the box that people checked for two years. So Trent and I were always always ended up on the same stages, and I was the only woman, and he was the only African American every single time, and the rest were all white men who were forty plus. Always. Um, and always in suits. And and there's me and Trent. And <laughs> neither one of us are dressed appropriately. And we always were like, we would like huddle up before we go speak. Like, yeah, we know why we're here. We know why they, they brought us here. But we're about to show them what's up. Like, we're about to show them what happens when you let, you know, us into a room. Um, that we earn the right to be on this stage. Uh, God, I, I'm so, I so appreciate your transparency because it's definitely not something that I've thought of before. Yeah. And it's, it's a challenging thing for people who are trying to build a business. Like as an entrepreneur, like there has to come a point where you're like, but this is a business. And the suggestion that you made for her is great. That's actually what I do in my company. I have a set number of speaking engagements that I'll do for free or whatever their fee is and everything else. Like once those are gone, those are gone for the year. And then everything else, it's my rate. But I had to do the inner work to overcome the idea that if all of the stages that cut me the largest checks in a year happen to be for predominantly white organizations, I had to do the inner work to not feel like that that meant that I wasn't using the gift that God gave me appropriately, that I wasn't caring for my community, et cetera, et cetera. And even like in my training, like when I talk to people about becoming a speaker, I'm like, listen, why don't you go make these checks at whatever organization can afford your rate? Because that's actually your ideal client. And then you can serve the other organizations that are near and dear to your heart. Like I say it all the time, like, well, and I think just from just from the perspective of someone who's like been so blessed to have you on our stage, and we're really excited to have you on all the stages. Um, and if you yeah, are listening like- to this, <laughs> Stacy is phenomenal. We'll bring your house down. You need to book her for everything. And she is expensive, and she's worth what she charges. So don't even try and bargain with her. If you are worth, you are worth, worth, worth it. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, but for me, there is, um, I am so conscious of the fact that I want to create a stage where every single woman who's sitting in the audience can see herself on stage. And I am striving so hard for it, and we're not there yet. We're like in all the ways we're, we're trying to make sure that we continue to reach for that. And we're, I'm conscious that we are not close because until it really does, you know, I'm just whatever. Um, I always think like that because I grew up in the church, so I always tend to like go back to that in my head. But like we talk about this idea of the kingdom of God, like the kingdom of God doesn't look like people who are all one color or one size or come like we're all different until my stage reflects that completely. I don't feel like I'm doing a good job with the opportunity that I've been given. And I love that about you and your company. Like that's, I I so admire that about you and your company. It's really, it's really very heartwarming to know specifically one that I'm fitting into this part of your vision, but I'm not fitting into that part of your vision just so you can check a box. I'm fitting in it so that you can actually fulfill your vision and this dream and this work that you're actually doing to change the world. So I am so honored. Like you don't even understand on my side when I got that DM, I was like, is this real? You, I want to make sure that you hear this and that you are honored with this. You are a phenomenal speaker, full stop. Like one of the best right now. 
Like, you yeah. need to hear me say yeah. that. Regardless of anything else, you are phenomenal at what you do. Um, there are lots of people that we sort of test out and kind of see, oh, will this work? Will that work? And they are, they are, we're so grateful for what they did, but they won't be someone that we bring back just because it takes a lot. Not a lot of people can hold space for 5,000 plus. It's a very unique gift. And it, and it's okay if people don't have it, but we only can allow those on our stage who can do that very specific thing, and you can do that. So seriously, yeah. Stacey Fla- is it stacyflowers.com? <laughs> is that your website? Everyone yes. go book her immediately. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, of course. I'm, I, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I wrote down some words that I want to touch back on because I think they're so powerful. You said financial dignity which is not something that I've heard someone say before. And I think it's a beautiful way to describe it. Will you explain to the listeners what that means to you? Yeah. So financial dignity for me is as an adult person, being able to cover like all of my needs and my wants. It's my ability to actually be able to do that and do it without stress or worry. So one of the things that I had known for a while is that like my ability to earn money was great, but my ability to manage money was really, really horrible. So sometimes I can have like in the past, I would have a lot of money, but I didn't have a lot of financial dignity because I didn't know where the money was going. And so sometimes my needs actually wouldn't be covered, even though I had more than enough money that should have been able to cover it. And so when I restarted the journey, I was just like, you know, I'm not at this point wanting to be financially free. I'm not wanting to be wealthy. I just need financial financial dignity. I need to be able to wake up, know what's in my account, know what I have to spend, know what bills are paid, and to comfortably be able to say, well, and this is how I'm going to take care of everything without stress, without worry. Because like, and and this is the thing, I grew up in poverty. I didn't know, like, thank, my mom is amazing. So like, there's like a level of poverty that like, I'm only aware of that we have now. And I'm like, what? We didn't have money? Like, are you kidding me? Um, But I didn't know. And so when I finally did figure out like what like poverty is and like what being poor and not having like I was just like oh wow like I need to make sure that I clean up that blueprint because otherwise I'm not going to be able to maintain dignity as an independent woman who's attempting to do life this this me being able to care for my child like if my son needs something I need to be able to say yes to that that's financial dignity if he wants something then I get to use my judgment but a need that is financial dignity when you can, as a person, say, say yes, I can provide that for this person and I can provide it for myself. And for me, interestingly enough, like I came up with the term because I didn't realize I didn't have financial dignity until one day I was in the bathroom and I needed something that girls need once a month. And I literally was like sitting on the toilet like I have no idea where I'm going to go, like how I'm going to, I don't have any money to go get these sanitary napkins. Like I, I don't. And I don't know where I'm going to get the money within the time period of how long I'm going to be on my period. So and I just I just remember sitting there and being like, what? Like, how could you let yourself get to a point where you have no idea where you're going to get the money to buy your monthly sanitary napkins? And it's and it's and it's the shame is compounded because like you do have a job, you know, money's coming in. So I don't understand how I'm in this state where I can't afford things like I don't understand the stress. I don't understand the tension. And so many women are living in that level of shame and tension and stress around their money. And it is not because you don't have 
a savings. It's not because you don't have financial security. It's because you don't have any financial dignity. You don't know what your money is doing. You don't know where it's going and you don't know why you're spending. Maybe that's a better definition because nobody's ever asked me that before, but that's what the definition is. It's knowing what your money is doing, where it's going and why you're spending on what you're spending. And if you don't know that, you are lacking in financial dignity because you will have that moment at the bank teller or that moment for me in the bathroom where you're like, how did I get here? Like, it would be different if I would. And I kept saying to myself, if I was a teenager, this is different. But I am a fully grown adult with a master's degree. And I have no idea where I'm going to get this. And and even as I was like brainstorming and I was thinking of the people that I could ask, I was like, is that, is that my, is that the ask that I need to, what, what did I do? It was just, yeah. Yeah. It was, but yeah. So is that part of the coaching that you do now? Are you coaching people on all areas of their life? Is it specific to finance? Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So coaching is sort of like it's business coaching, but you know, business coaching is life coaching. There's a quote that you had said before that you heard on a podcast that like the highest level of your, wait, wait, hold on. I'm going to misquote it. It's something to the effect of you will not exceed your emotional and mental health capacity or something to that effect. So when I'm doing the business coaching, we inevitably go inside of the life side, which inevitably hits on money because a lot of the women who come to me, it's like they know how to earn money in their business, but they don't know how to earn a consistent dollar. And I'm like, if you want a coach to teach you how to earn a consistent dollar, and I'm, I'm so big on consistency in the money side, because when I got sick, I was just like, I need to have money coming in even when I'm sick. I need to have financial safety here. So when I'm coaching women, I'm like, I'm not going to show you how to make more dollars. I'm going to show you how to or coach you to make consistent dollars so that that way you can make sound decisions in your company. And inevitably, we have to hit on financial dignity. We have to hit on where are you putting your head in the sand? Why why don't you want to see that you made a thousand dollars? Why don't you want to see that what you you bought this ticket to this event that was supposed to be a networking opportunity and didn't turn into anything. Why don't you want to see that? Like we have to go into those numbers because so many women have great business ideas and in terms of them executing it from a financial place, they don't realize that the shame, the embarrassment, the comparison, all of these things are eating away at the profits that would otherwise be in your company. And it's just like, you want a profitable company. You want it to be something that sustains you. You don't want to have to live to work in your business. You want your business to work for you. And a lot of women, because I think the way that we're educated around money, it just doesn't happen that way. Like even me. So like, so I've been an eight, obviously my whole life, but, and I grew up Pentecostal as well. And so, so the roles of men and women are very, very clear when you grow up Pentecostal. And so um, in my family, we had something that I dubbed domestic days where basically on, on the day, on that day, you had to cook and you had to clean and you had to do all the dishes. Now I hate doing dishes. And in our backyard, we had this big field and we had a dishwasher. So we would, I would like put dishes in the dishwasher and take them out on my sister's days, or I would just take them and go throw them away in the field. Feels right. Well, one day, one day my, my bonus dad saw me like take some pots and go throw them in the field because I didn't want to wash them. And when I came in, he was just like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm washing the dishes. And he didn't say anything. Then later on that day, I was like making hamburger helper or something like that. And I intentionally poured more salt into it because I was like, if I don't cook well, they'll stop wanting me to cook. And so my bonus dad also saw me sabotage the food. And he was just like, earlier today, I saw you throw the pot and now you're sabotaging the food. What's wrong with you? And I was just like, I don't want to do this. And he was just like, you know what? You're going to be a horrible wife. You're going to be a horrible wife one day. And I was just like, no, you know what? I'm 
gonna be I'm gonna be rich, which means I'm gonna have a chef who's gonna do all of this. Yes. <laughs> but I say I say that to say like even as like a kid, there was this idea of wanting to have abundance of money because I'm like a teenager. I'm maybe like 13, 12, like, I don't know. And I, there was this desire to have abundance of money, but because I was a woman, I wasn't really necessarily like encouraged or allowed to have those sort of thoughts and feelings. And so I find that in my coaching clients, I attract women who want that level of abundance, who want that level of consistency, but there's these moments that they've had with their bonus dad or with their mom or with whomever, grandparents, whatever, that crush where they think they can go financially and what they think they can do. And I'm just like, no, my job is to clean that up and help you build an amazing company. I love that. And it's so, so necessary. Um, Again, I'm just, I'm thinking of all these things. I just finished the latest book. But one of the things I talked about was that this is not my thing. Obviously, we've all heard this 10 million times. You talk about it too. But um, that you become who you surround yourself with. You become who Mm -hmm. you hang out with most Full stop. A hundred percent. And what if you, uh, because I have so many people who listen to this who are business owners or dream of owning their own business, when the thing that fundamentally changed the level of revenue that I made in my company was when I started to interact with entrepreneurs who had far exceeded where I was in terms of wealth. When I was, and when I would go to a business conference or something and you would, you know, there are business conferences where the tickets are super expensive and I probably shouldn't have been, you know, doing something at that level. But it gave me the opportunity to hear people speak who were talking about, you know, $50 million when I was only making 400000 And that, me just hearing like another human, like a human made 50 million and that was beyond what my brain could even contemplate. And suddenly my worldview got bigger. And what I was capable of got bigger because I was with someone who was at such a different place. And I do this with my core circle of friends. I am so honest about finances and where where we are and what we're doing because I want to normalize for them this kind of conversation. Um, We were just we were just hanging out um, last weekend. We're all sitting around, and one of my girlfriends said, "Okay, you guys, for real." Someone explained to me. How do you how do you build wealth? Like I've read stuff and I've seen stuff, but I don't want to just make money. Like how do I actually build wealth? And I was like, I I literally raised my hand. We're sitting in a bar. I was like, I know the answer. <laughs> and I didn't know the answer five years ago. And if someone had said this, I wouldn't have understood what it meant. But it ties back into what you just said. I said, you make a certain amount of money and your money starts to make money for you. And like you are able to bring in revenue, like you said, consistently without you having to go out and hustle for it or ask people. You have created a system or a process that allows for money to be generated, even if you're asleep. And then you invest that money into there's all sorts of different things, but that money starts to make money on your behalf. But that wasn't something that I knew. And if you don't, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, that's not, I don't, I don't know how to have consistent revenue coming in and I don't know how to control, man, you are listening to Stacey right now tell you that she coaches on this topic, (laughs) go like, stop fumbling. If you can afford to have someone come alongside you and help you with these things, then do it. 
because it will change your business. And if you can't afford it yet, do like I did. And I'm sure like Stacey did back in the day, read the books, listen to the podcast, watch the YouTube videos and get your answers now like for free to work up to the place where you can afford to have someone help you elevate. Yep. A hundred percent. Like I a hundred percent agree. Like you talked about like the five people. So I kind of describe it as the core five people. And so this, so the transition from last year to this year, my core five people shifted, right? So you have come on board. You don't know this. I'm telling you now, but you have come on board as one of my core five people. You're now my peer. And I talk about the peer because this is one of those people that is overlooked so often, but like the peer is so important because they understand what it's like to be in your industry in the trenches doing what you're doing. But to your point about being in a room where you were wishing for, for you you were making 400,000 and they were talking about 50 million. What people don't understand is that when you get into proximity of possibility, it changes everything. Rachel, I came to Rice and you have changed everything just because of my proximity to you being able to host a conference with 4,000 women in the room. Like, Things have shifted in my company just because of that proximity to you, just because of you being my peer. Now, you were already sort of like a cyber peer to me in terms of me admiring your work and all that stuff. But now that we've collaborated on the first stage of Rise, it's like you're closer now and that shifts my average. And so many people don't want to invest to get in the room. And it's just like, no, 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 invest to get in the room. Because if, like you said, when you hear a human say something is possible, there's something that happens in your spirit that goes, oh, Really? And then it goes, I'm going to do that too. And I may not do it the way this person did it, but I like if like I'm sitting there and I'm like, if Rachel Hollis can throw a self-development conference in an arena, that is no longer a pipe dream. That is reality. That is a real thing. It's like, and, but that shifts the dynamic in the way that I'm, you know, able to do things because I'm moving, I'm intentionally saying, okay, this is my core five. I'm bringing this person in. I'm pulling this person in closer because this person is going to shift me in that way. Much like you did when you were investing to be in the room where the conversation was about 50,000 or 50 million. Because when people comfortably say, oh yeah, 50 million is what we're going to do on the next thing. (laughs) You're like, uh, uh, what? Oh, okay. And like, even it, uh, what, it, it what was so amazing you. about that that experience for me, because I, I remember distinctly the first time, it wasn't just the number. It was exactly what you said. He said it so casually. He wasn't afraid yes. of money. <laughs> he wasn't fearful. Yep. He wasn't, uh, you know, nervous to call his shot. He was just like, this is real. Instantly paradigm shifted. And once your paradigm shifts, even though you'll have the cognitive dissonance until you step into it, it's like you can't go back. It's like once you've been stretched, you can't go back. No one will ever be able to tell me that you can't put 4,000 women in an arena to talk about self-development over multiple days. Yes. No one will ever be able to tell me that that's an impossible, that's a, that's something that's impossible. I'm going to be like, oh, have you met Rachel Hollis? Cause <laughs> she's doing that. Like, but you do, but like until you're there, until you're in proximity to it, you don't believe that the person, the, you don't believe that you can do it. You're like, oh no, no, that's for Beyonce. No, actually it's for me. It's for Rachel. It's for whoever is actually dreaming of it. Because before I came to Rise, I'm like, Beyonce gets to host things in arena. Like that was my paradigm. Now my paradigm is, oh no, women who speak on stages about self-development get to host conferences in arena. That quick, there was the shift. Went from only icons to like, you know what I mean? Like Beyonce has been in the game doing her thing. Like 
I went from thinking only entertainers get to host things in arenas to knowing at my core that that is no longer a truth. And you got on stage just as comfortable, like every day you popped out. I was like, she's really doing this? Like, what? <laughs> like, blew my mind. I loved it. Who you surround yourself with, it matters. It oh, matters so much. So much. And I feel like, too, it's worth saying, like, our our audience who got to hear you speak in Florida, like, we still get DMs about you being there. And I'm sure they loved oh. on you well and are so excited. If you are coming to Toronto uh, here in a few weeks, you better get your hearts ready. You're coming to Toronto, right? I'm not making that up. Yes, I'm. Yes, yes. You're not making it up. <laughs> yep. And San Diego in June, like, all the things. We're just going to be a traveling. We're just going to be a, a tour group. We're going to travel together. <laughs> What are you excited about in 2020? What does 2020 look like for you? What's the big vision? Um, I don't have necessarily a big vision for work. Actually, this year I decided that I wasn't going to do a new sort of vision, new goals or plans this year. And I think it's because I'm in such transition, right, with my son. So my son, it, he'll be the first male in five generations to graduate from high school, go to college. I'm so tender and emotional that like I was like, I remember going like doing my strategic planning at the end of the year and talking to a friend. And I was just like, I can't see anything like what's going on. I feel like I'm blind. And what I realized is that I was actually looking at a blank canvas and I have never experienced a blank canvas before because I, you know, I was a mom very early in my life. So my whole life I've had to consider someone else. And even though I'll continue to consider my son, it's just in a different sort of a space. Like before I fill up that canvas with what I'm dreaming of doing for my company or for my family, I want to give it some time to just like live in this new space um, and this this new transition. So sort of that's happening with my son. But even also there's a lot of escalation that's happening in my company. And rather than dictating out the way that I want it to go, I want to kind of leave room for magic to happen. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say, oh, well, I want to be on these many stages or this stage by the end of the year because I, I there's something about this blank canvas that I have right now that is so soothing to me. That's so like you literally can do anything. So give yourself some time to explore everything. So what you put on there is a little bit more intentional because I also realized because I've been I love vision boards. I've been doing them since 2002. Like I love all that stuff. I also realized that a lot of the visions that I had created in the past were from wounds and insecurities and lack and trauma and stress. And I am the healthiest that I've ever been in my entire life. And I want to live here a little bit longer before I start dreaming because the possibility of things is so apparent to me now that I don't want to sell myself short by putting something up on that canvas that's not worthy of me going after right now. So... Dang it! I so, love yeah. that. I love that so much. <laughs> um, we have talked. The- we have talked for an hour. We have. We I have. Know, so crazy. We, I know, and I'm excited. I'm gonna seriously. I wanna. I I want to go and have dinner. Maybe we do that one night when we're in Toronto, if you have time, because I would mm-hmm. love to talk to Absolutely. you without something recording us and just hear all yeah. the things. <laughs> um, but hey, thank you for saying yes. Thank you for answering that DM and being willing to jump in and absolutely crush it on the stage. And then, you know, doing this podcast, I know that just because 
I, I know how wonderful you are, so I'm sure that all sorts of people are going to go want to follow you and find out more. Will you tell them where they can find you on social and what your website is? Yes, my website is www.stacyflowers.com, and I am Stacy Flowers everywhere on the internet. So, Stacy with an E or no mm-hmm. E? Because that feels important to ask. With an E. With an yep, E. With an okay. E, so EY. Stacyflowers.com mm-hmm. yep, um, and at Stacy Flowers on all the social. On all the social. Awesome. Thank you so freaking yep. <laughs> much for taking the time. Um, and I can't wait to see you in Canada.